So I was just um, uh, having a chat with God about the fact that I found my sermon this evening a bit dull. And I felt God say, well, why don't why didn't you just have fun then? Um, it's quite dangerous, God, I said to him. So I'll try and pick up on a few themes. Thank you very much for having us here. Thank you for coming out Friday night, Saturday, Saturday evening, for setting aside time for something crucial in your busy lives. I think some issues that have come to the fore, inevitably, some of us are going through the sort of midlife, later midlife crisis of you know, complacency and this is my life, comfortableness, uh, but children probably leaving, who am I now? And we, we rightly sense that, you know, passion and new vision and enthusiasm largely belong to the young, which they do. But as I mentioned, however, we are the church and, and we need to be as hot as we've ever been. It's, it's really crucial. I'm not sure it's always been true, but it definitely is true now. So every single person that um, calls himself a Christian is critical, uh, including us. And we, therefore, we have to enter in some abnormality. I've been realizing in my own church that's been true. I have been um, needing to um, give new vision, probably for quite a while. And the truth is I haven't had any. And at the beginning of the year, I did get some. And that's why I'm going home tomorrow, because I have to carry on from where I'm at. And um, it feels abnormal. In some ways, it feels like going back to the beginning. Not totally abnormal. But I, do, I want to challenge you not to settle. We can't afford to have you settle in these days in this country with our faith. We also can't afford any longer to be held back by a lack of confidence. And I think that's been a consistent theme from stories I've heard of people that have been prayed for. Lack of confidence. Confidence about being used by God. Whatever you need to do to put that behind you, you have to do it because you're necessary. You're absolutely critical. And so where there are issues of confidence, please, please can you promise me that you'll do everything you can to put them to on one side so that you can be of use. It's fun being of use. It's not fun really listening to other people be of use and thinking why aren't I of use? Thank you for responding to all the words of knowledge and giving words of knowledge. It was amazing. This morning so many words were given and so many people came forward and experienced a measure of healing or actual healing. It's incredible. And you have been very responsive and very open. I'm going to talk about a very familiar instant, the beginnings of the church's life in a way, Acts 2. If we could have Acts 2, 1 to 4, and going on a bit, we'll start with that. When the day of Pentecost came, they were together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Oh, well done. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Oh, yeah. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment. Each of them heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these people sort of thick Galileans? 
and how is that each of us hears them in our own native language? Now, that's what they were, Galileans of the Irish joke. Um, there's the list of people who were there. We all hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? And some, however, made fun of them, saying they've had too much to drink. Next. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, addressed the crowd, fellow Jews, all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain to you, listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. So for those who are unfamiliar, after Jesus was raised from the dead, he told his disciples to wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit had come upon them. And then he said, you will be empowered to be my witnesses, to speak about me, declare the truth of the resurrection, explain the meaning of the cross, and be empowered, as I've been empowered, to do signs and wonders, to extend the kingdom of God. And so they are waiting. Pentecost is a Jewish festival, and people would come from all over the ancient Near East to celebrate it. It was celebrating the gift of the law, the means by which God regulated how people behave towards one another, and the first fruits of the harvest. It was a big deal. Lots of people were there from everywhere, Jews from everywhere. And then this very weird thing happens. If you go back to verses 1 to 4, sound like a blowing of a violent wind, fire burning on people's heads. As I mentioned this morning, this is not a nice, nice little twee kind of thingy. This is, this is quite frightening. It's a violent wind. If a violent wind blew in here now, we wouldn't be sort of sitting there going, well, that's nice, a bit of wind. You know, we would, be, we would be disconcerted. And if fire started to fall on the heads of people here, it wouldn't be good. I, I, I really feel like when the spirit moves in power, it, we really need to issue people not with a sort of hymnal and traditional style or a Bible, but probably with a crash helmet and make sure all the seats are fitted with some kind of safety harness. Because if the God we actually believe in turned up and did things in power, it would be quite a thing. Somebody prayed one of my least favorite prayers at some point, but they're all merging into one now. Not my least favorite prayers, but whatever happens over the time of this time together, it's merging into one. And basically, somebody said something about, oh, you're so gentle, Jesus. No, he's not. Or if he is, it's not so good. You know, I mean, he, he's, he is more the lion than he is the gentleman English person, really. I remember when I first became a Christian, um, somebody decided I'd obviously be a good leader for a group of teenagers. And they, they were having their own adult thing with a speaker and some worship, and then there were the teenagers. And they were having me and a group of my choosing, some, a team. And we were doing the same kind of thing, really. We had two fasts, which meant that on two days we didn't eat and we prayed instead that God would send his power on these people. And we had read about the things of the Spirit, and we wanted to see God do his thing. And um, we had a meeting on a Tuesday afternoon, beautiful day. It was a public school, um, fantastic facilities, and there was this optional session on worship. And uh, basically, I thought I'd misexplained it because most of the kids came to the afternoon session. I thought they didn't realize that they didn't have to be there. Beautiful day, you know, sports, all kinds of activities. And um, so I said, you know, you don't actually have to be here anyway. More kids came. And basically, so the room is pretty full. And 
I should have known something was up because we had a little prayer beforehand, my team of 10 people, and five of them fell off their chairs where they were sitting and couldn't move. So we picked them up without really thinking too much about it, which obviously is strange, and stacked them in a room nearby because they couldn't be there like that when the kids came in. That's not an exaggeration. They couldn't even move. So we had to collect them and take them elsewhere. And so basically then the kids come in. And there wasn't time to think about this. I mean, I remember thinking, wow. Something like that. I remember opening my eyes and seeing them on the floor. They'd rolled off their chair. And so basically, then um, my friend talked about worship, the model of worship we used. And I said at the end of his talk, do you want to go now? Beautiful day. Don't have to be there. Anyway, more people came. Some adults came. Some younger children came. And they're actually pressing in outside the room. It was very odd. And basically, I thought, this is odd. Anyway, so we decided we we're going to start doing some of these songs, just like these songs. And basically, he, he plays his guitar, and basically, the, the spirit starts moving, and people are crying, and they are kneeling. And, you know, I'm thinking, oh. And so I did the obvious thing, which is to ask the spirit to come, which wasn't obvious because he was already there. But I asked the spirit to come, and I asked everybody to stand. And at that point, it was like somebody got a gun and shot the room. So people were just mowed over where they were, including, and this is one of my favorite stories of all time, a French atheist student who'd been lied to by her Christian parents, who told her she was going to England, good news, failed to mention Christian camp. And basically, so there she is on Christian camp. She doesn't really speak English, and she doesn't want to speak English either because, you know, she's pissed off at her parents that have ca packed her off to Christian camp. And so basically, there she is. She is one of the first people down. So she's standing in the corner. She's only there because everybody else is there. She's followed the herd. She doesn't know what's going on, can't understand the speaking. And she is knocked to the floor. And I always remember the symmetry with which her head fell between two stools. Otherwise, it could have been quite messy. Down she goes. She is completely immobile for about three quarters of an hour. And then she comes around and we find a French speaker and have a little chat. And she says in French, what was that? And I said, I said, that is the power of God touching you. She said, does that mean I've got to become a Christian? And I said, no, it does not. It means that God is showing you that he is powerful. And off she went. And basically, that was such an extraordinary act of God's power. And I honestly thought, well, obviously, Jesus is just about to come back. I had no other frame of reference for it. I thought, well, it's, it's over now, isn't it? I mean, it's a short little time of being a Christian. It was fun. But we're not going to top that, are we? It was really incredible to be there, to see God move in that way. And it, it is like what's happening here on the day of Pentecost. And really, therefore, I want to say that when the Holy Spirit comes, his presence is powerful and discernible. He is not the gentle English guy. He is powerful and discernible. And we want God to be powerful and discernible. We want to see Almighty God do incredible things, don't we? And therefore, by necessity, we've got to find ourselves found our way into a crisis of the kind that I was mentioning on Friday night, to recognize that it's real and to allow ourselves to be caught up in it. It's things like this, you know, if let's play an imaginary game. Let's pretend that God exists. Just follow me. And let's pretend that he inspired the Bible. Would you read the Bible? I mean, if you believed it was inspired by God, it's only an imaginary game. 
Do you see what I'm saying? Would you not take bits of it off, you know, write them off, you know, pin them to your children, put them in front of the mirror, and generally take it like medicine all the time? I think you would, if you really believed it was inspired by God. And what about prayer? If you really thought that prayer is the most powerful weapon in the world, the best investment of time you could ever make, the most potent form of change you could ever engage in, would you or would you not pray? Now, my question is, do we believe what we say we believe? And the problem for Christians is they're not really sure, or they lose touch, or they're a bit lacking in confidence, or they've been disappointed. Everyone's disappointed. Do you think the Son of God wasn't disappointed? Oh, I've, got, I've had some suffering. I understand. I only dare to say this to you because I've had some suffering. I've had some suffering. Look at the Son of God who we follow. Have we suffered like Jesus suffered? I'm just saying it's not that abnormal, is it, to enter into suffering by virtue of being a Christian. But somehow we've got the child's view, which is if God loved me, bad things would not happen to me. Who ever told us that? Look at the nature of the world. Look at what it's like. I mean, it's great that we experience happy days. But look at the world. There but for the grace of God go we into abject poverty, destitution, violence, and criminality, right? Do you think you're any different from anybody else who just hasn't happened to grow up in Cheltenham or in a nice place, London? Do you know what I mean? We, we're so privileged. It's difficult for us to live, though, outside our paradigm when really we're in a crisis. You see what I'm saying? So in this crisis, we want, with all of our hearts, to see God be immensely and dramatically powerful so that, so that we can be caught up in what he's doing so people have a real problem when they turn up. One of the things that I love most about my church is that when non-Christians come into it, they regularly cry and they say, I feel I've come home. Now, we're just doing exactly the same thing as this, but they sense the presence of God. Isn't that fantastic? So they know from the moment they come in the building. Isn't that great? We had this woman called Lou Miller, who I really love, and she walked past the church a few months ago, and um, she thought, do you know what? I'd like to go in there because they're wearing informal clothes, but I don't see any black people, so I'm not sure whether I'd be welcome. I mean, there are black people in our church, actually. She didn't see any. Walks past. A few months passed. Then she has a dream in which God tells her to go back to the church. She is not a Christian, and, but she knows it's God, goes into the church, and is completely blown away. She, her mother dropped oil in her eye when she was a child intentionally, and it basically half-blinded her. We prayed for her, and her sight came back. Such a dramatic manifestation of power. But so many other things happened, happened to her in her life because of the abuse of her parents, the absence of her parents. But she had such a powerful experience. She is bringing all her friends. And, you know, whether it's the... I showed this woman who was there last Sunday, I showed her some, some leaflets for things. We do street dance, we do uh, a movie night for kids, and parents have cheese and wine downstairs, and basically various things, holiday clubs. And she, I thought she was going to cry. She's got three little kids. And she said, well, can I come to them? I said, you can come to all of them. And I've got other ones. And it, I mean, it's not rocket science. But what's interesting is the power of God. She's already doing the life course. Because she that's, wow. I didn't even know you were there. So, so we need these demonstrations of God's almighty power. We need it. Somebody was asking, apparently, in the question and answer session, which I rudely avoided because 
On Saturday afternoon, the Lord has ordained that I either listen to football or sleep, or both. And since the FA Cup is no longer of any interest to man or beast, this afternoon was sleeping. And so I knew that my team could handle the Q&A without me. But somebody asked a question about why I had um, talked about a woman's guilt standing up over there. Do you remember that, if you were here? The reason I did is because she talked about her guilt. She mentioned when she was speaking that she'd been um, struggling with guilt. And um, so I felt that God was saying to me that I should confirm that he was taking guilt away. You may remember she bent over. And so that's never happened to her before. And she's actually been quite anxious about being <laughs> forced by God to do something weird. Um, but then that's what I mean by God is not that gentlemanly. You know, if he was gentlemanly, he wouldn't be doing that to her. But he cares more about the crap of guilt that she's carrying, that it's time for it to go. He cares more about that than whether it's a little bit socially embarrassing. See what I'm saying? That's more my experience of God. I remember talking about the power of the Spirit in a liberal Episcopalian church in the States. It's their version of Anakinism. It's like Satanism. It's not very far dissimilar. And basically, it's like, it's just awful. And it basically, it's Jesusless. It's kind of, you know, why don't we help poor people? It's just, you know, it's good to help poor people, but that's it. Anyway, so it's ri ritual, formal death. And they all go. When I first went to the States, 60% of them are, on, are, are Americans are going in the deep south. They're going to one church or another. Every church is full. You have traffic police on the roads regulating the flow. No jokes. I mean, it's declined a bit since then, thank goodness. Anyway, so the thing is, they all go in for this inoculation against faith every single Sunday. And basically, no, it is it's awful. And basically, um, so I, but some, by some fluke, I'm invited to teach about the Spirit. And, um, I mean, there are five liberal clergy who want nothing, don't speak to me at any point. What They say hello, and that's it, day one, and I, I then I'm left to get on with it. And basically, uh, I always remember this time when I invited the Spirit to come, and literally nothing is happening that you can see. 200 people, nothing. It's really embarrassing, except it is happening to Elizabeth. In fact, everything that's not happening to everybody else is definitely happening to her. So she gets touched by the Spirit, and she starts laughing. She starts speaking in tongues. She starts speaking in fluent French in tongues, praising Jesus. She doesn't speak French. This is all going on. And basically, and then she hits her chair. Then she falls under her chair. Then she rolls around in the aisle and then somebody else gets hit and the thing is laughing Elizabeth as she is known in the whole community this is her first time in the church building and she's just turned up to integrate into the community yeah try that one on for size gentle Jesus meek and mild so Pentecost is about power it's about demonstrations of power but, you know, I mean, my, I, I like what I think of as scything in the spirit. Now, that's when you like, you've got some kind of invisible sickle and everyone you touch goes out. I like that. I like it wild. I like it to be wild. I like the juxtaposition between me speaking like this with quite a monotone voice like this and power. What I do not like is hype. I do not like whipping it up. I don't like telling people what's going to happen. When I started, I was in Oxford, and the people were extremely cynical. So I perfected a very monotone voice so that nobody could accuse me of emotionally manipulating people. I never told any stories. I just read things from the Bible and then asked the Spirit to come. In fact, nobody said anything nice about my speaking for years because the model I had was so re restrained and actually not like my personality, precisely so that nobody could accuse me of hypnosis, suggestion, blah, 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 blah. 
didn't stop the Spirit moving in power. So, we need God to act in power so that we know that he's real, that we know he's alive, and that people out there can taste and see that the Lord is good. The drama of it is, at one level, totally unnecessary. It's what goes on in the heart that matters. I have seen people repeatedly knocked to the floor. I, there was a guy I remember going to something because he fancied someone. He got knocked to the floor every single time, five times in a row, never became a Christian, made absolutely no impact on him at all. And then it never even got prayed for, just straight out on the floor. And then, basically, um, I've seen other people whose lives have been completely transformed as a result of these power encounters. I mean, power encounters, in a way, they are an insult. It's Good to know that. It, what God likes is simple cooperation. So he likes, oh, Abraham, do you want to follow me? I'm just going to give you land. Why don't you just round the sheep and the, and the goats and the family up and just come with me and I'll give you a land of your own. And Abraham goes, okay. I'm going to call you Il or El, the moon god of Haran, because that's the only name I know for God, and I'll follow you. And basically, as I work out things about you, I, who knows? I might find out a bit more, and that's what happens. But Abraham follows God, and it's called faith, and God quite likes it. In fact, it's the magic with God. Uh, he likes that. He likes simple cooperation. He doesn't like Moses going, oh, okay, God, yes, so there's a burning bush. Yeah, I see, I see what you're saying. You'd like me to do the Pharaoh thing and, you know, take them out of Egypt. But actually, I, I don't know if you've noticed, but I can't actually speak. I'm not a good communicator. But my brother's quite good. Now, but God does not like that. It's not his favorite thing. God doesn't know Moses, and that's why he's chosen him. He's chosen somebody who's not a speaker to be a speaker for a people who are not a people, Right? That's the way God works. He takes the weak, foolish, and broken things of the world precisely so that nobody can fuse the power that's going to happen with Moses. He likes that. So it's not good to protest about how weak we are. That is exactly what God is looking for. You are here because of weakness. Do you remember Gideon? Gideon goes, oh, I am the weakest member of the smallest family in the weakest, most useless clan. And God says, hello, mighty warrior. And he goes, no, no, you want next door. Because I'm the weakest member of my low self-worth is so awful. You know, whatever. And God uses him to destroy the Midianites who were using a weapon of mass destruction, the camel. And basically, you know, he, is, he, is, he raises up a nobody with no confidence, no self-worth to do mighty acts of power through. What, what do you think the message is? See, you know, I understand, you know, I could be pastoral and sympathetic if I could find it within myself. But basically, the thing is, what I want to say is it's not about you. That's the point, right? We have this ministry, this presence of the Spirit in frail jars that can break because the glory then goes to God. That's the point. God uses people who are full of doubt and full of intellectual struggle as evangelists, he uses people who are needy and wanting relationship as pastors. He uses people who are disconnected and somehow broken open as prophets. He uses the very points of weakness and makes them into strengths. Do you see that? So whatever you protest about most that disqualifies you most is the very thing that God would use and exploit to make you into a God-man or a God-woman. Thanks. <laughs> so Pentecost is about the power of God. It's also about relationships. So my wife um, established a charity which is about the promotion of attachment theory in every area of life, parent, child, marriage, 
I mean, we'll probably do ones on bereavement. Every kind of relationship you can have, we're doing one on dating. And basically, um, what neuroscience is proving is that the most, the single strongest predictor of success in life is the existence of loving, ongoing relationships. They are absolutely crucial to our well-being. And I'm saying to you, isn't it funny that what we're into is a relationship. It is not a religion. Christianity is not a religion. Jesus had massive problems with the religious, didn't he? If you only had Jesus' dialogue with religious people, you wouldn't even think he was a nice guy. So basically, Jesus is not a fan of religion. Religion is the height of our rebellion against God. Christianity is a relationship with the living God, and therefore Christianity is kicking in at the point of greatest need. So when the Spirit of God comes upon people, their hearts are set on fire with love for God, either the love of God or love, the, or love for God, right? Both probably. Be, knowing that we're loved and having love for God, the Spirit of God is given to make that happen. We can't make it happen. We have a heart of stone. We have a heart that does this to God and says, you keep it a distance from me because I know how to do this thing called life. I know I've been around for 17, 27, 37, 77 years, and I have experience, and I know how to be the captain of my own ship, the master of my own destiny. And I recognize that you've been around a little bit longer, a tad longer and everything, being God and all. But nevertheless, I know how to do this because I'm so full of myself. That is the offense of human nature, to have been created by God and think we can do it better. It's astonishing. We know better about sex. We know better about work. We know better about everything. We are astonishing in our egocentricity. What's the score? <laughs> like I said, it just doesn't matter. It's not a relevant tournament this year. <laughs> I mean, it usually is, but this year it just isn't. Relationship. Shut up. Relationship. Absolutely crucial. Pentecost is about the possibility of intimacy, something we are deeply drawn to. The pain that comes when this quest is frustrated in our lives is a large part of the human story. Israel knew there was one God who broken into their history and set them free from captivity, but in many ways he remained largely above and beyond understanding. In the person of his son, though, God comes as near as breathing and as close as hands and feet so that nobody needs to guess at what God is like. But after Pentecost, God comes closer still. God comes closer still. So, you know, the English have passed on some crucial cultural rules for relating to people in the world. And um, so you can see them in a lift where we understand if you get in a lift with a stranger, you do not speak to them. Nobody speaks to a person on the lift. And if we're in a bus, there's a reason why there's an upstairs and a downstairs and a multitude of seats. It's so that we can find our own seat and not have to sit or have social interaction with a stranger unless we are briefly commenting on queuing or the rain. Otherwise, it is a no. And we realize this is really important, don't we, as English people? See, God does not respect these sorts of things. God is like the person who gets into the lift with you, and while you are embarrassingly looking for somewhere to look that isn't them, despite the fact that the whole thing is mirrored, God is the kind of person who just looks at you and goes, <laughs> and he gets right close to you and goes, that's what God is like. He's like that. 
Or alternatively, you are on the top deck of the bus because you are appalled by the fact there are some people on the lower bit of the bus and you have got all the way to the top and you're sitting there, you're knackered, you're angry and you're sitting there on your own. At least you've got a seat on your own. In fact, you've got a deck to yourself. There is no cause for social anxiety. And then suddenly you start hearing this quite large person making their way up the stairs. But there's no cause for concern because, after all, there are a multitude of seats. There is no chance they'll even choose an area like yours. Boom, boom, rustle, deep breathing. Bags rustling everywhere, you know. Boom, boom, getting nearer and nearer. And then, sit down right next to you. Their bags are spilling all over you. I mean, it's an outrage. God is like that. He's a space innovator. And he comes in for the purpose of relationship. The strongest predictor of success in life in a naught to three-year-old child affecting the size of their brain is the nature of their connection with their primary carers. That's it. It determines criminality, drug-taking, success, happy marriage, consistency in life. When, you, when, you're married, when you're married, your brains become plastic again. You have the capacity to reconnect and find healing for some of the things that didn't happen nought to three. These deep connections are crucial. Now, to say that God is love is to say that he is going to have a relationship because nobody just loves. You, you love someone or something. God is love. Not God is loving. God is love. That means that God is looking to love you. He's looking to experience love with you and for you to experience his love. That's what it's about. It's about having that massive hole in the heart filled. Now, if God fills the hole in the heart, that does not mean you will not need relationships with other people. Some Christians make that mistake. I've got God now. I don't need people. That is not true. God has made you for people. It's not good for you to be alone. He, he created Eve for Adam, didn't he, right? So basically, even though he had a one-on-one with Adam, so basically you need deep human connections, but you also need a connection with the God who's made you. If you do not have that connection in place, your ambitions, your dreams, your gifts, your personality will never fully function. Has to have God at the center, and then everything, everything flows from there. But we want to have ourselves at the center. Sin is a little word with an eye in the middle. And it's all about, the, the fight that we all have every day is about whether we're going to do it God's way, isn't it? Always. So, Pentecost is about the possibility of relationship, and it's about communication. So, speaking in tongues. Can I just check? You all do speak in tongues, don't you? Okay, I mean, you're not going to say, no, I don't, no, I don't, John. Anyway, if you don't, you should. I'll tell you why. Because when you hit your thumb with a hammer, you don't go, oh, let me, hang on, I'm just going to formulate a short poem about my experience of the hammer. Ah! When you are grieving, you weep and moan with sighs too deep for words. When you're in love, you have your own lover's language. Yes, you do. You speak to yourself, you speak to your lover in your own language. Little children gabble to themselves in an imaginary language. There are times in life when we need to communicate things without the constraints of formal language. Now, when you speak in tongues, it's your spirit praying. And it's very important that you release your spirit to pray as it wants to without the formal constraint of words. Your spirit prays. God does not speak in tongues. You do. But the Holy Spirit inspires and helps that process himself. 
So you need to pray with your mind, sing with your mind, very important, and pray and sing with your spirit. You can all do it. It's not the case that some people can speak in tongues and some people can't in the same way that all people can make goo goo gaga noises. And Paul says, I want you all to speak in tongues, 1 Corinthians 14, some I can't remember, but I want you even more to prophesy in the Greek. I want every single one of you to speak in tongues in the Greek. I want even more that you prophesy. He's not going, oh, but you never will, will you? He's saying, I want you to do both. So do both. Just like lots of people gave words of knowledge today, that's prophecy. In the same way, in the same way, you can all speak in tongues. So just get on with it because it helps you to pray. The point is your inner being doesn't know how to pray. But when it's released, it does. And then you don't have to worry about thinking it through. It's fantastic. How many situations are you in when you really need to pray but you don't know how? That's what speaking in tongues is for. Paul says to the Corinthians, I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. And they were tongues crazy. They were tongues crazy because they thought tongues were a sign that entered into the angelic realm ahead of times. They had the language of angels. Absolute rubbish, says Paul. But speaking in tongues, very good. So communication, a key aspect of relationship, your spirit connecting with the spirit of God, your father, and prophecy. So when, when the spirit comes on Peter on the day of Pentecost, he suddenly, despite the fact that he's a fisherman and generally useless, quite capable of making sense of the book of Joel. Oh, the book of Joel. He's probably never read it. No, he has, because that would have been education. So basically, he's read the book of Joel, and suddenly he can make sense of it. Do you know what? This is what Joel was speaking of. In the last days, God will pour out his spirit on people, men and women, and they will prophesy. They're not drunk, as you suppose. I remember, actually, I must tell you, I prayed for my son when he was about eight. And he basically took a play swipe at me because I've got the, you know, the reactions of a ninja. Basically, I moved out of the way and he just went straight out on the floor, which was not the plan, and basically hit his arm quite badly. Anyway, because I was full of the joys of spiritual spring, I'd been trying to effect a reconciliation, which appeared at the time to be going, well, you don't need to know that. I offered to pray for him when his arm was not getting any better. And um, so we went off into this tiny little American room. You know, this very strange small rooms for very big people. It's not natural. Anyway, so we go into this little room, and he puts his arm on a cushion, and I say to him, this is how I pray for people. Can I pray for you? He said, yes. So I said, I can't heal you. Why don't you ask Jesus to touch you, and then I will add my prayers to yours. So he does that. And I ask the Spirit to come, start praying for his arm. Anyway, my wife walks in at some point, and she says, what are you doing? I said, I'm praying for him. What do you think I'm doing? Anyway, so I don't... Anyway, so basically, he comes round, and he goes, uh, and I said, how is it? He said, well, it's better, but it's not completely better. Have another go. Back on the pillow. And so basically, we have another go. And at some point, he said to me, um, he said to me, uh, is that speaking in tongues? And I said, yes. He said, can I speak in tongues? I said, yes, you can. And then I explained to him what speaking in tongues was, as though he was anybody else and not my son. And I said, would you like to do that? And he goes, um, yeah. And so basically, I asked the spirit to come. At a certain point, I noticed that his head is, is leaning against my shoulder. And, and then I look at him, and he's completely immobile. And then he starts speaking in tongues. Comes out with this language, and then he can't stop. It's uncontrollable. Then he's rolling around on the floor. So it's just me and him in the room. He's rolling around on the floor, and he goes, after a while, I must apologize to my sister rushes out of the room, finds her, apologizes to her, and believe me, he did need to apologize to his sister, and basically then we prayed for her, and she spoke in tongues. Now that's power, and it's communication. No hype, no whipping anything up, no exploitation of anyone. Speaking in tongues, very important. Prophecy, very important.
It's, it's the ability to communicate something from God that you think he's given you. Now, we need that. We need to be able to follow the Holy Spirit, all of us. Otherwise, we might as well describe, as, describe ourselves as believers in a historic God that did lots of things way back then. We can read about them. But now I'm just doing my best. Now, what we're supposed to be is people whose lives are directed by the Spirit. So I'll just give you one example, then I'll finish. So a long time ago, I've, I was involved in a building project. It was a very big thing. It was knackering, and it finished, thank God. And I had a day of prayer and fasting, which I'm not given to doing, can I just say. Don't like any kind of deprivation, and but not if it involves me. And then basically, um, I'm... Um, I'm reading this devotional book, and all the verses for that day are about Abraham, and God has often spoken to me through the Abraham cycle in the Bible, so I pay attention. And I notice a verse I've not thought about, which is, I will make your name great and make you a blessing to the nations. And in that, mind, in that moment, I felt in my imagination, God showed me that he wanted me to start a lot of churches around the world, and basically to also just have a, set up a sort of anti-movement thing based on friendship. So I spoke to the guy who was my then curate and said to him, would you be open to maybe going to New Zealand? Because <coughs> that was one of the places I thought God showed me. And he said, well, actually, we would be interested in going abroad. Just got married. We talked about going abroad. I thought, good, we'll come back to this in three years' time when you've done some training, you know, uh, when you've actually done a curacy. And basically, that Sunday, Mr. Fixit for starting new churches in New Zealand turned up in my church. And within six months, he was given the largest building in the center of Auckland, and he became the largest church in Auckland in Anglican history. Now, that is following the Spirit. They did prison ministry. They, had, they used to have their, um, their, uh, their Christmas services at the request of the council in a rugby stadium, 9,000 people. Now, this is because I had a little daydream in my study. In my study, I had a little daydream like you do when you have some cheese. And I saw these countries, including New Zealand, and I thought to myself, oh, that'd be nice. Why don't we just start some churches? Do you see how easy it would have been to miss that, forget that? I think, well, that was a bit odd. It's the Holy Spirit. And that has changed thousands. Without exaggeration, it's changed thousands of people's lives. We've gone on to plant quite a lot of other churches, and they have changed people's lives. Do you see what I'm saying? People's destinies, their well-being depends on us being able to follow the Spirit. And that is our privilege and our responsibility. Ladies and gentlemen, that's it. Shall we stand? <clears throat> Let's open our hands. Let's open ourselves to the presence of God. You may never have done this before, but that does not disqualify you. You just, all you want to say is, God, if there is a God, please make yourself known to me. Or you're saying, I know there's a God, and I'm, I'm here for whatever you're doing now. Please don't work anything up. You don't need to. The Holy Spirit comes. Jesus says, how much more will the Father give the Spirit to those who ask? So a bit of silence. Please, could you ask the Spirit to come? And then be willing to respond to him as he touches you. God will have begun various things in the last two days. You know, the sensible thing to do is to receive as much as you can when God's power is at work.
It's good to close your eyes so you're not distracted. Just think I'm going to be here for a while. I'm opening myself. I'm going to try and open myself to God. If anything gets in the way, you just acknowledge it to him. You say it to him. Time of silence. This is between you and God. Whatever God you think God has said to you or shown you or highlighted, whatever you're afraid of, whatever you're worried about, whatever disqualifies you, bring it to God. If you've been saying things, can I recommend just stopping, being still and knowing that God is God? Let me add my prayers to yours that the Spirit will come. Spirit of power, spirit of relationship, spirit of communication. Thank you that you are the same yesterday, today and forever. And we ask that you would come and do all your work here as you've always done. Move right through us, Lord. And we're just going to wait. Keep waiting. You're doing really well. Lord, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for your power.
Crying is okay. Crying out is okay. Praying is okay. Having a burden that is almost uncontainable is okay. Bless what you're doing, Lord. This is the Holy Spirit starting to move. Do not be put off. You don't have to do what other people are doing. You just want to be open to the Spirit. All the way through time, when the Spirit moves, some people do this. Let me tell you the common signs of the Spirit touching people. Peace. Peace. The peace of God that passes understanding. Peace. Not as the world gives, says Jesus, do I give you peace. But he gives peace. People feel tingling in their hands. People feel like a substance on their hair, like oil. People feel wind blowing over them, even though there is no wind, no draft. People feel fire burning through them. People want to cry. People are crying. Some people want to laugh. These are all the common things. Bless what you're doing, Lord. <laughs> 